Do you have trouble sleeping? Then Sleepscape could be your answer. A world first sleep aid podcast recorded live in some of Australia's most iconic places. I invite you to sleep under the stars. It's like you're actually there. Choose from over 10 locations. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Sleepscape. Choose where you sleep tonight. Welcome to season three of This Is Me. My name is Katie Matten and in the previous two seasons, Siobhan met everyday Australians and they shared with us their life-changing moments. In this new season of This Is Me, we have 10 inspiring stories that will hopefully let you walk a mile in someone else's shoes. If you have a story you'd like to share, you can DM us at This Is Me Podcast on Instagram. Hi, my name's Laura. I'm 32 years old, full-time working mum of two little boys. And three months ago, my husband was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. There's some stains on your photo. They all cracks on your rusty frame. So Laura, tell me about how you met Lee. Uh, Lee and I met when I was working on Hamilton Island. I was on a weekend off meeting my friend over in Ellie Beach for the weekend. We were out to breakfast, brunch, and we ended up at this beer cafe. Lee was there up from Adelaide for a wedding. My friend and I, we were sat there having our brunch, just contemplating starting a little drink at around like 11.30 in the morning and um, Lee came over and (laughs) tried to talk to me and my friend that I'd met over there, she was doing the east coast of Australia, she was from Sweden before she was moving back to Sweden so I was not interested in talking to someone else when my friend was about to leave the country so I was pretty... um, ignorant of him I wasn't the (laughs) kindest at the start I was like oh nice to meet you yeah okay well we're just doing this and he went back to his friends and then and you could hear them all kind of being like no go back over (laughs) and he came back a few times bought us a bottle of wine bought us cheese boards and then we were like okay this guy is not too bad and so we hit it off in the end once I gave him a chance and um, we stayed in contact after that he went back to Adelaide I was on Hamilton Island I went back to work I got a boyfriend a couple of months later and that was about when Lee decided to message me and say hey like I can't stop thinking about you and I said sorry I've got a boyfriend. <laughs> so you didn't think about him after, I after did, he left? Yeah. So I did think about him. We sent the odd message. He'd comment on a photo or something and then he got a girlfriend and we laugh about it now because when he got a girlfriend, I would look on Facebook and be like, no, like she's not good enough for you. And he would say the same about like when he would see me post with my boyfriend. But towards the end of my relationship, On Hamilton Island, he had already broken up with his girlfriend. So he had moved to Brisbane for a year to work for his sister's cafe that they'd started. He was a bit closer. He said again at the end of that year, he said, I'm going back to Adelaide soon. My year in Brisbane is nearly up. Do you want to come down to Brisbane and meet me for a weekend? (laughs) I was so scared. (laughs) 
so we went out for a drink down at the pub and um he got really bad hay fever <laughs> and he was like his eyes were watering and he was like choking up and he's like oh I really need to go to the chemist like can I meet you back here in five minutes and I was sitting there with my beer I was like that's fine yeah did you think what if he doesn't come back I was so scared he wasn't gonna come back and he went to the chemist and now he tells me that he went in the chemist and he said to the girls in the chemist like I really need help like I really need help I'm on a date and I really like this girl and I'm just a mess and they were putting cold packs on his face and he had antihistamine and eye drops and everything and then he came back but he'd taken a while to come back I was sitting there thinking I had no idea where I was I was just like just hoping he comes back (laughs) and he did and it was really yeah it was good Did you go back up to Hamilton Island? Yeah. So he went back to Adelaide, I think, a week later. He came to Hamilton Island quite frequently. And, yeah, I stayed there for six more months before we then decided to move to Brisbane together. And how quickly after you moved in did you decide to get married? So mid that year we moved. We were talking about kids and he's such a paternal guy. He loves kids and he just has so much love in his heart so we would talk about it and then um towards the end of that year start to talk about like maybe trying soon for kids so we'd live together six months and um got pregnant and so max was born three years ago yeah three and a half years ago just the best thing to happen to both of us he's just the kindest little boy we've ever known and then was it two years later little Jack came along yeah so Max was born in October then we got married the following year and then we moved into like a bigger house and had a big backyard and things started to really um, settle for us for the first time in years and we had Jack in February on Valentine's Day 2020 Life was so good. He's the best dad and we had the cutest babies and Max was the best big brother. Yeah, life was so good. We were just all very smitten with each other and Lee went to work when he could and worked from home and we were all really happy. What was Lee doing as a job? He worked for a company that was developing an app for wellness in sport, which is something that he had a real passion for. It just didn't quite go the way that he was hoping there. Um, Yeah, and then Lee uh, decided enough was enough. He was really stressed. He had a few headaches and that kind of thing. So um, he said to me, like, I just don't know what to do. He got to one day and he said to me, I just don't know what to do because this person's leaving and this person wants to leave. And I said, if you're not happy, you need to leave. Like, we'll be okay. We're going to be fine. Tell me about the day that changed everything. He had left his job two weeks before. He had had a little bit of time off relaxing at home. His headaches had gone, so we were pretty sure that they were from stress and it was the public holiday of Anzac Day. His usual routine of a morning is that Max and I sleep in on a weekend this was a public holiday so um we sleep in and when I say sleep in I mean like 7 30 in the morning 
and Jack will wake up. So Jack wakes up around six and Lee gets up with him and he's done the same with both boys. So when Max was really little as well, he would get up for that feed in the morning like four or five and he would just lay on the couch with him like having a cuddle and he like really wanted to do the same with Jack and have that one-on-one time with Jack so this became his routine and he got up that morning it was no different he blocks off the hallway with the couch because Jack can be pretty wild and he's walking by then so got Jack up and he said that he felt nauseous and he didn't tell me when he got out of bed that he felt sick but he got Jack up out of bed put him on the floor so he was running around playing with things and Lee went to the toilet and he said he felt nauseous and he wasn't sure which end it was going to come out of so he's gone to the toilet he's sitting on the toilet with um, his head in his hands he said and and then I could hear Jack yelling just yelling 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 and I was like oh what's going on he gets really hungry in the morning like you have to feed him as soon as he gets up because he's a little beast like he will just yell the house down until you give him food then I could just hear him yelling so about quarter to seven I got up and I went out there and Jack was standing there Lee was in the kitchen um, holding the milk and Jack's milk bottle trying to pour the milk from the bigger bottle into the smaller bottle he's spilling it everywhere and Jack's tugging on his pants yelling at him like hurry up I said to him what's going on he's been yelling for so long like what's going on and he looked up at me spilling milk on the floor looked up at me and he just had blood dripping down his nose like from you know halfway between his eyes all down his nose just so much blood and I was like what have you done? And he goes, oh, I don't know. And I said, "Mm, what do you mean you don't know? Like, you're bleeding, babe. Like, you need to tell me what's, what happened. And he said, no, I don't know. And then I took the milk, I finished the bottle. We laid Jack just on the floor of the kitchen because he was so desperate for his bottle. He, He was chugging down and Lee just pushed past me and said, I really need to lay down. And I was like, oh, you're obviously concussed. Like, you can't lay down. And he was just ignoring me. In hindsight, I would have been so annoying. I had so many questions. And um, he pushed past me. He goes to bed. Max was in our bed at that stage. And he got into our bed and just laid there. And I went in and I said, you need to tell me what happened. Where did you cut your nose? He said, oh, I just woke up in the bathroom. And so I left the bedroom and I went into the bathroom and... There was baby wipes everywhere, like covered in blood. Like he'd tried to clean it up. So I couldn't kind of piece it together what had happened. And I went back into the bedroom and I said, but you've cleaned it up. Like there's some blood on the floor, but you've cleaned it up. And he goes, I don't know. And I was like, but I just don't understand. We were going back and forth and I was going back into the bathroom. I was coming back into the bedroom and asking him and he was, I don't know. And I was like, and so I rang his mom and I said, something's happened I'm pretty sure he's got concussion and not sure what to do. And she was on her way to the Gold Coast, but she said that uh, Lee's brother, Luke, was going to the airport to drop off a friend early that morning so that he would be quite close by. And he came over and he came up the front steps and I said to him, I opened the door, I said, I just, I don't know what's wrong with him. Like, he's really, he won't answer any questions. His eyes are flickering. He won't look at me properly. He's looking at me, but he's not really looking at me yet. I'm really sure he's really concussed. Luke came in and was like, 
hi mate (laughs) you know like talking to him so slowly and it was like he was on a slow decline it was getting worse his responses were worse and Luke looked at me and looked at him and I said I think we need to take him to the hospital and Luke was like yep okay all right let's get him up and we were like Talia okay sit up and we'll we'll put your clothes on and we'll get you down to the car and he couldn't sit up he was trying you could see he was trying with like everything he had he was trying to sit up but it was just one arm just kind of twitching he was trying to send the messages to his body to sit and he just couldn't and Luke and I I'm quite close with Luke we just looked at each other and we were both thinking the same thing and Luke said uh what about we he's very practical as well like he's very um careful about how he words things he's a very well thought out person and he said what about we get someone to come here for help instead of saying let's ring an ambulance and so he went off rang the ambulance and they turned up and they were phenomenal at the time I never had it in my mind that it was anything other than a concussion but these people come in and they don't put the fear of God into you they just make you feel so safe and even though I just was so convinced that it was concussion they just made you feel like everything is going to be fine They checked him and Max thought it was amazing having all these paramedics in his house, in his bedroom and we had two ambulances out the front and we live opposite a pretty busy cafe and it was a public holiday so there was just people everywhere out the front. They ended up getting Lee up. We live in a Queenslander so we've got front stairs. They couldn't get the stretcher up so we were really trying to like get Lee up moving and they got him up and he was doing pretty well but he couldn't put clothes on. (laughs) So he went down the front steps, walks to the ambulance in his red knickers with blue spots on them (laughs) and he got on the stretcher down there and they put him in and his mum went with him and Luke stayed with me and the kids and we figured that we'll just meet him there at the hospital a bit later. And they they didn't take off, but we didn't wait out the front for long enough because, you know, the kids were inside. And, and so we went back inside and then about five minutes later, I don't know why I went back out the front. I went back out the front and the ambulance was still sat there. Like it hadn't moved. And I said to Luke, oh, the ambulance is still here. And so he thought... we kind of just stared at it for a while and we just stood there in silence staring at it being like move like why are you still here like you need to take him it ended up taking off but we found out later that he he went a bit south once he got in the ambulance and and had a had another seizure so they took off they put the lights on he was unresponsive. They called ahead. They took him straight into a CT scan, which then they could tell from the brain activity what had happened at home was a seizure. So he felt nauseous. He was sitting on the toilet. He's obviously then had a seizure, which is why he's fallen. And he cut his nose, we think, on our bath. When he woke up, he was face down on the bath. They looked at the scan straight away and they could see that there was something in there that was not meant to be in there. Luke and I were sat at the kitchen bench. I remember it so well. We were sat at the kitchen bench and his phone was up and 
I saw Rachel, his sister, was calling his phone. And I looked at mine and I thought, oh, no one's called me. And Luke picked up the phone and then he glanced at me and stood up and was like, oh, yeah, we're just having coffee at the bench. And she said something and he went outside. So it was at that stage that I thought, hmm, he can't take this call in front of me. This is... Maybe not just a concussion after all. He came in and again, Luke is so good with words and he brings such a calm energy. He came back in and he said, okay, who can we ask to come over and look after the kids? Because they've done some tests on Lee and the doctors really want you in there when they give us some results. I called my best friend Hayley and... That was when I started crying. And um, I said, I really need you to come over. And we're not like, you know, with your best friend, you'll text a hundred times a day, but you never actually talk on the phone. You don't, she's that person for me. So for me to call her, she knew something was wrong. And she was over in about like 15 minutes. So Luke and I drove in to the hospital, met them, went through emergency. They let us in. And he had just had a really bad seizure again in the hospital. Um, and he was, he had just come out of it, but it wasn't good. Like I went in and I started to really expect the worst. And I got there and I could tell Rach had been crying. And I went in and um, again, his face was so vacant, but he saw me and he, he just reached out his arms to me for a cuddle and he knew who I was straight away and he hadn't been responding to questions or he didn't know where he was or he didn't know what day it was or anything like that. But for him to like do that to me, it just was so, so emotional. The doctor came in and um, said... We found this, he showed us the CT scan, there's a big white mass in there and said this is a lesion, it shouldn't be there, it's causing him to have seizures, it's this lesion in his brain, um, that was shocking, I didn't even cry, like you don't want to cry in front of that person, he needed strength so you just try to be that for him and he wasn't crying. He's not a crier, but he wasn't crying. So I, I just thought, I can't cry. I just have to get through this and um, find out what's next. The hardest part, I would say, of that day was having the doctors come in every... I think they were coming in maybe every half hour to ask him questions to see if his memory was coming back and that kind of thing, and, and it wasn't. It just wasn't at all. Did you know at this stage that this wasn't going to be an easy fix? No. I don't think I knew how long-term that this was going to be because I know nothing about brain cancer. Did they use the word tumour at this no. stage? they called it a lesion. It was always referred to a lesion until the diagnosis after the biopsy. Yeah, always a lesion because it was just undiagnosed. They didn't know what it was. And some people have lesions on their brain. They're 
they're nothing. They're just a mass of tissue and they're not cancerous and they don't grow and they're just there. So at this stage we were thinking, well, maybe they can just cut it out or maybe he's just on anti-seizure medication and he's going to be fine. Maybe it's just the seizures that it's going to be the worst side effect of this, but um, I didn't know how bad it was. He got his sense of humour back and everything. Like He was fine after a few hours. He was himself again, but he just didn't have short-term memory. And so they would come in and they, they asked at one stage, do you know the Prime Minister of Australia? And we all just stopped and looked at each other. And I thought, hmm, I don't even know if I know. It just, you know, when it just misses you sometimes. But there was one point where they said to him, do you know where you are? And he started to cotton on to their questions because they're asking the same questions every half an hour. And he started to cotton on and he goes, yeah, I'm in the hospital. And he thought it was pretty good because he answered it, you know, I'm in the hospital. And they're like, yeah, which hospital? And he went, um, the Royal Brisbane. And we were like, oh, this is good. And then when the doctor left, they were like, oh, that's really good. That's the first time you've said the Royal Brisbane. When the doctor left, he turned to me and he goes, where is the Royal Brisbane anyway? And I was like, oh, no. We've had both our babies there and it's not far from our house. And he knows. I said, you know the one? You know the one that's near Hungry Jack's? And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that one. But... Then the next time they came in, he couldn't remember the name of the hospital, but he remembered that it was near Hungry Jacks. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was just a little... You had to take positives from the day, and that was probably like having the family all together for the first time in ages and just the little laughs that we got to sneak in as well. How long until they did a biopsy? He had the biopsy Friday afternoon. So you had to go a whole week not knowing what you were going to have to deal with. Yeah, went a whole week not knowing. What does the biopsy involve? After the CT scan where they could give us the initial results that, yes, here is a lesion on his brain, he then had an MRI a couple of days later. So maybe on the Wednesday he had the MRI. The MRI shows a lot more in-depth detail of the brain and the tumour and they said, this is probably inoperable. So it's just above his ear because it's on his left temporal lobe. The biopsy cuts into his skull and there's a few different ways that they can take a biopsy. So because they deemed this inoperable due to its location, it's very close to speech, it's very close to his memory, it's really deep in his brain, they said it's probably too dangerous to operate and not affect any of those things. And I think it was easier to understand that given that when he just had a seizure, he hadn't even been operated on, but he'd had a seizure, that part of the brain was so affected into things like his memory, his speech. He couldn't get his words out. He he had no memory for like an entire day. Imagine they cut into it and it's worse. It's permanent damage if they do that. So I was pretty understanding of that. And they said the biopsy will be done by a needle. So it's a very, very fine needle. So the cut is um, maybe 10 centimetres above his left ear. And um, he woke up the happiest I think I've seen him in a really long time. He just wanted fried chicken when he woke up. And it's so funny because the lady opposite him in the room they were sharing said, 
I was the exact same when I woke up. After my brain surgery, all I could think about was chicken. <laughs> it's so weird. But yeah, so he was um he made a few little friends in his room and and then we were allowed to leave on Sunday. I read the discharge report and I don't know much medically, but there's a section in there that says what they would determine it to be. Um, one of those things was a lymphoma. It said it looked like it in appearance. And the other thing was written as GBM. So I called it. It is the most aggressive type of brain cancer that you can get. Did so you I, tell Lee that you'd... I asked him. So because he was so positive and he's sitting there telling me... Oh no, so many of my friends, oh I'm getting all these messages, so many of my friends have got brain lesions and they're fine. And so he was so positive that I was like, "Mm, I'm not going to go, oh hey have you read this, this says this, you know. So I, in a roundabout way, said, oh have you read the discharge summary at all? And he was like, nah, nah, my dad read it and he said there's nothing really in there. And I was like, oh okay. I wasn't going to say anything for something that's just assumed and it's not being determined yet. It's not official. I definitely kept up the positive on the outside and on the inside I started to really prepare myself for the worst. That must have been a really tough thing for you to deal with, to be having those thoughts in your head about, you know, what if, what does this mean? But then needing to be positive on the outside. Did you talk to anybody about your feelings at that time? Not really. I really went on my sister a lot. Um, She lives in Melbourne. So um, I talked to her quite a lot um, about it because she is familiar kind of with the condition. Um, She works at um, the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. So she was familiar with, you know, what it could be. And she's saying to me, like, you need to prepare yourself. Like, he's being so positive. And I said, but I need to let him be positive. You know, like, I just need him to stay this way. Because if he falls into a heap, then what am I going to do? Like, it will make this even harder, you know? We went into the meeting and, again, he was just so positive. He was happy. I'm starting to get really nervous and trying not to show it. And he says now that as soon as we walked into that room, he knew that it wasn't going to be good. He was flawed. The neurosurgeon said to us, this is a glioblastoma. This is a tumour. He kept calling it a tumour. At this stage, we're allowed to, you know, diagnose it as a tumour. And... um. He just kept talking about terms and Lee just, I could feel his energy and he was looking at me and looking at the neurosurgeon, look at me and I was like, I need to stay really strong here because I need to listen to this information because he's he's tapped out. (laughs) He's not listening to this anymore because he has just been absolutely floored by this news. But I still had it in the back of my head. Maybe it's not, like maybe... (laughs) Maybe it's not cancerous. He just keeps calling it a tumour, but he's not said the word cancer yet. And I had to ask. I just said, this could be a really stupid question, but is this brain cancer? And he was like, yeah, it's very aggressive brain cancer. So 
we were just silent. We didn't even have questions, you know, at the end and they say, do you have any questions? We had no questions. We just, yeah, we just were shocked. It's just not something that you ever expect to happen to you in your whole life. You think that you know how you'll deal with something, but you don't until you're faced with it. And I think that's then a problem that we ran into a little bit after that, like people telling us what we should do or how we should be. What did the neurologist say the next steps were? He said, um, you'll be referred to an oncologist. Um, This is super aggressive. We particularly think yours is very aggressive. We do think it's young. It is small, but these things can grow at a really rapid rate. So um, there's not a long life expectancy involved. Um, We came out of the building that we were in. We were just silent and we held hands the whole way out. And then we just both went to sit on this bench outside the building and he just started crying and he he's not really he's he's been through so much in his life and I've never really seen him cry so that really um that was pretty upsetting for me I was crying a little bit but I was still trying to keep it together because I don't know I'd internally prepared which sounds awful Um, but I internally prepared for having to be the strong one because obviously it's not happening to me, it's happening to him. So I could hold him up and I could, you know, just hold him while he cried and then he just, he looked at me and he looked at me and he he looked at me and he was crying and he said, I'm just so sorry. And it was so sad that someone that's just been told that is thinking about anyone else but themselves like he's so selfless and it's just like that's what actually set me off I hadn't cried until that point and I was like you have nothing to be sorry about you don't choose this like this chooses you unfortunately there's no cause there's nothing there's nothing anyone can do it just chooses who it chooses which is the worst part of the whole thing so he got himself together and he said, this is really fucked. Oh, can I swear? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said, this is really fucked that now I have to go and tell my dad this. So we walked back and we like got it together a bit. Brian is his dad and he was sitting there and he looked up and he looked up with like so much hope on his face that it was all going to be okay. And Lee just kept walking <laughs> They just walked straight past him because he was preparing himself to talk to him. But when he looked up, there was just no way that anyone would want to break that news to their dad. I just shook my head and then I got teary again and shook my head. I said, it's not good. I just let them walk ahead and he had his arm around Lee and we were walking to the car. And I said, oh, guys, can we stop? Because we can't just get in the car. Like, we can't just get in the car and leave. Like, we have to have a conversation. We have to, you know, stop in the hallway. And so we stopped in the hallway. And, um, yeah, Lee told his dad about the type of cancer that it is, a glioblastoma, stage four, not a long life expectancy, that kind of thing. We just, yeah, got in the car and went to the pub. (laughs) 
at 11.30 on a Friday morning, we went to the pub and drank beers. Literally the next day they called us and we had our meetings booked in, oncology, radiotherapy, um, everything was booked in, ready to go. You'd think that you'd fall into a heap, but I didn't and neither did he. You pick the kids up and you just look at them and you go, like, I have to be really strong for you. That was when I kind of started doing my research on what we were going to be dealing with. Where did your head go in that time? Again, we talked about having to be positive and strong for Lee, but there must have been some dark moments for you. Yeah, so probably it wasn't until probably a few days after that that I didn't want to cry in front of him because I didn't think that it was my right to be the one crying when he wasn't crying, you know, so... I didn't want to cry in front of him, but I was so emotional that I would cry every time I got in my car. I would just drive to work, cry the whole way to work. I would work. I dropped to three days a week. I would do my work, and then I would cry the whole way back to pick up the kids from daycare because Lee's not allowed to drive. So I felt like I had to take everything on so that he just had that to deal with. Do you know what I mean? Like, he shouldn't have to worry about anything else and then I would cry every night going to sleep and if I felt like he was still awake I would just get up and go and sit in the bathroom and cry I cried a lot you've been given the worst news possible ever and you want to have hope you do you have to have hope but you don't want to have it sounds really bad but you don't want to have too much because you look at other cases and and they don't last long and it was around the time of the Mark Hughes Foundation rugby round and um, there was a post that came up on my recommended feed on Instagram and it was this girl and a tiny newborn baby wearing these Mark Hughes Foundation beanies which raises um, funds for brain cancer awareness to find a cure. And I looked at her page and she'd just lost her husband but her page was so positive and I scrolled right back through like their whole journey with it and they were so positive and just full of love and that is where Lee and I are at we want to have that same obviously we hope for a much better outcome but we want to have that same mindset that same kind of mindset of journey the whole way because like Lee said to me once if if I've been given 12 months and I'm a sad sack of shit for 12 months I'll probably get six he said, but if I'm happy and I just am really positive and have so much hope, I might get like 12 more months. And then if that goes on, I might get 12 more. So let's just do it this way. So I definitely had really dark moments and moments where you just think, I can't, I don't, I can't live without you. Like you are the love of my life. I don't know what I'm going to do without you. I think it was about two weeks between diagnosis and the next step in the oncology process. We went in for like a general education kind of appointment on this is who your oncologists are, this is how things work, this is how radiotherapy works and we left there feeling really good and so cared for 
everyone we dealt with was so good and so positive and just the exact type of person that Lee could hope for. I think that's when I probably started to cry less. I didn't cry every day after that. I knew there was a path forward. A week later, um, he was to have six weeks of radiotherapy every day, Monday to Friday, and um, oral chemotherapy tablets every day. So he's just finished the six weeks of radiotherapy, hasn't he? yesterday. And that is the maximum amount of radiotherapy that a human being can have in their lifetime. Yeah, so they said this treatment plan treats this particular brain tumour with its due respect. It is very aggressive, so they wanted to treat it aggressively. Yeah, so that's his maximum dose he can have, so no more radiotherapy. And then in four weeks from today, we will have the MRI to tell um, how it all went. And with the chemo drugs, this is something that I'd never heard of before. Because of how strong the chemo drugs were, no one was allowed to touch them. Yeah, so oral chemotherapy drugs are very toxic. They have a high level of toxicity. So we had an appointment with pharmacy the first day of his treatment. They had to sit us down and say, look, you've obviously got two really young little kids. Keep it well out of the way. I was the one who was you know, dealing out all his anti-seizure medication and and his hundreds of tablets a day. And um, they said, you're not to touch it. Pop the tablet into a cup and then have it out of the cup. And then once you're at the end of the treatment, throw the cup away. They said, you need to double flush the toilet. Even if it's just a wee, you need to flush twice. All the toxins come out in your urine. So you need to be flushing it twice. No kissing saliva is toxic so no kissing you usually take them in the morning but this one particular time on his first day we only picked them up that day so he had to take it of an evening and I could tell that he was nervous because he was pottering (laughs) I said to Max go give dad a big kiss and so he went and Max loves a kiss on the lips come here dad and he like grabs his face like two hands on either side of his face and gives him a big smooch and like Lee was nearly in tears then Max runs off, not knowing, you know, anything. And um, I sat on the couch. A little while later, I was like, oh, did you take it yet? Because I could tell he was nervous. He goes, yeah, I took it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he'd forgotten to kiss me. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And I didn't want to make a deal of it. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then he goes, oh, no. I didn't even give you a last kiss. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I'll see you in six weeks. <laughs> so, But, yeah, so after six weeks, it takes the body a week to detox. So um, you get a kiss next week. I get a kiss next week, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah. So we had an appointment a few weeks ago, and I actually mentioned to her, I said, a welfare worker that we saw mentioned that in order to be eligible for this government situation you have to have been given less than two years life expectancy and Lee and I were just unfazed because we hadn't been actually told a life expectancy and she goes I've spoken to your doctors and you are eligible for it and Lee was furious that that was the way that it was presented to him and so we had an appointment a few days later with the oncologist and I said to her 
we don't think that we've been talked to about a prognosis like a life expectancy you know and she said oh no you would have it would have been one of the first conversations so maybe it was just a lot of information for you to take on and Lena like oh maybe she said given the grade the location and um the type of cancer that it is the um the life expectancy is 14 months um she said, but I fully expect you to soar past 14 months. That's statistics, but people can outlive that. We have much, much higher hopes of 14 months for you. And then literally the next week, she had to sign a form for us. Lee doesn't read the forms because he doesn't like to know too much about things that the doctors are saying. So I read it and it said three years. So that was a little win. I know that that's a positive, but I can't help just still being in such disbelief that that's my husband that they're talking about and that's his life and our life together that they're saying three years could be it yeah it's just a really weird feeling to feel very supported but also very lonely and because you're you're his wife you're his only wife Mm. and you're the mother of his children the only mother of his children Mm. And so no one else is going through the same experience and the same thoughts that you are. Yeah. So I spoke before about this girl on Instagram who lost her husband not long ago um, to the same thing. He outlived his life expectancy five times. I wrote her a message and I said, I never do this. I don't message people that I don't know. But I just wanted to say thank you for having such a positive outlook and having this on public for for people like me to see because there is so much anger and so much misery out there and I can't relate to the angry ones and I can't relate to the miserable ones and and that's fine because everyone deals with it in their own way I'm trying to be positive because I need to be for my family and I need to be for my husband to share the same positivity as him she wrote back and and she's been so great And then I saw this thing the other day that said, um, you're on the journey that you're on so that you can help people later on. And she wrote me a message and she said, so true, because she's been that person for me. Like She understands and I can't get that from anyone else. What happens now? So now we wait for the MRI, which is um, in four weeks. So that will tell us if the tumour has shrunk or if it has stayed the same or if it's worsened, which we're really hoping it hasn't worsened. It's just a waiting game. You do feel a little bit more at ease because we have so much trust in the doctors and, and we have such a good team and we just are so positive and hopeful. What would you say to anybody listening to this podcast who is going through the same thing? What would you say to them? If you can be strong, find positives in little wins. It's so important to be positive and have hope. I know that sometimes you're not given much. Like Even if Lee was to be given six months, we would still have so much hope that it wouldn't be six months, you know? Like, you have to. You have to want more. You have to hope for more are you dealing with it in a way that you thought you would deal with it both of us have grown so much as individuals and as a couple in the last five years 
I would have been probably an anxious wreck dealing with this. I would have fallen into a heap. I wouldn't have had the boys that have kept me so strong, like the little boys that just love their mum and their dad and they've just got no idea that anything's wrong and they've been such a pillar in this in helping keep you strong now I've dealt with it with a strength that I didn't have five years ago do you think it's made you appreciate the small stuff so much better yeah and the fact that you know just live each day Mm -hmm. you don't know how long Lee's got none of us know how long any of us have got yeah so it's so important to Mm -hmm. just take it day by day yeah we are trying to do a lot more and um you know getaways on the weekend and even the other day I said oh we need to do a food shop but Lee said oh you can drop us home and you can go and I was like no let's all go and we put the boys in the trolley and they just had the best time and it's just little things like that that you're like oh it's us four together doing the food shop the kids are happy we're happy we're all together and it's just so nice little things so Yeah, it is really important to just make the most of absolutely everything. So, Laura, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's okay. I really am so positive for you and I really hope that you get the best possible outcome that you can. And like you said, little wins, celebrating the little wins. You were told 14 months, now it's three years hopefully the results from the MRI are positive and we can extend that further I really wish you all the best thank you there's some stains on your photo they all cracks on your rusty frame if you want to hear more about Lee's story and his positive outlook follow the c-word podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts